0: Down in Green River Valley. I know
1: hey, could, hello, um, ciao, bonjour, this is, um, Adam with Mile High Stash, the podcast that asks what five albums you would take to a remote Colorado cabin in the event of a zombie apocalypse. Uh, it doesn't feel very apocalyptic in, in Colorado right now. Um, it's a beautiful summer day and I'm looking at it, Long's Peak, um, Recently, Steve Varney and Rachel Slyker. Rachel's from uh, the River, Arkansas, and Steve is uh, most well-known for being what I'd call the lead uh, multi-instrumentalist string man, side man for Gregory Allen Isakov. But uh, Steve and Rachel performed at the Boulder Roots Music Project um, as part of a live uh, episode of Mile High Stash before a, a great local audience and um, in between um performing some of his um banjo tunes and more um I would call them passionate singer-songwriter tunes um Steve was interviewed by me and I'm, I'm really excited to share that with you guys it was fun and and at times I'm emotional because of um something Steve and I have in common You'll hear about um, Rachel um, was a guest on My Life Stash a few months ago, and um, you might want to check out that episode. This episode is sponsored by the incredible, amazing historic Gold Hill Inn, and um, we really appreciate you know the support of the the Finn family and and the Gold Hill Inn. Um, I also want to thank 105.5 The Colorado Sound, um, you know, for their uh, continued support of Mile High Stash and and my endless um, a dorking out, you know, every Monday here. Anyway, here's my conversation with Steve Varney, um, the, the incredible singer songwriter, banjo player, guitarist. Um, you might want to check out um, his recent um, album with Chris Williams called Something from Nothing. um it's it's the result of actually Chris taking lessons from Steve um, and then happening to make an album together. And then, you know, there are also just numerous Steve Varney, a.k.a. Kid Reverie, tracks out there to check out as well. I will see you on the other side of my conversation with Steve Varney, a.k.a. Kid Reverie. Located in Heavenly Gold Hill, Colorado, the Gold Hill Inn was built in 1924 and has been owned and operated by the Finn family for the last 60 years. The inn is known for its fabulous three or six course meals and unforgettable concerts by local artists from gasoline lollipops to Gregory Allen Isakov. To get up to where time stands still, take Sunshine Canyon or Four Mile Canyon from Boulder and experience the Gold Hill Inn's wonderful food and music with all the fixings. Um, Before I say anything else, I want to thank the Roots Music Project because this place is fantastic, and um, yeah. So I am not a native of Boulder, but a lot of people who have been here for many more years than me have said that this reminds them of the old, weird Boulder. Um, Did any of you go to Penny Lane, remember that, you know, and this is something that (laughs) Boulder is needed for a long time. Uh this is gonna be episode I don't know thirty-two of Mile High Stash, but I've interviewed a lot of side people. Is that offensive? Can I call you side person? I will walk right out of here. Yeah. <laughs> no, no.
2: no, I'm happy to be a side guy. I've been I've I've been the head of bands and it's actually much more fun to be a side guy. You don't have to know any of the dates or times or anything very well, and just yeah. Hop on the bus and show up,
1: yeah. <laughs> that's true for some... Be a some, good band member. But that's true for some front people I've worked with, too. Yeah, well, it shouldn't be. You know, <laughs> yeah. So I've interviewed Stealth from the Lumineers and Rachel from the River, Arkansas, and and um, Andy Thorne, who you actually have a lot oh, in yeah. common with. You know. I haven't
2: met him. I don't know how that's yeah. possible, but I haven't Yeah, met him.
1: yeah. So is there a side person club where you, you know, take a blood oath or anything <laughs> like that? You know, (laughs) (laughs) not yet. No, not yet. But I have a lot of great images going
2: through my head now (laughs) of what we would do. (laughs) Just like listen to great records and talk about what's going on in the background. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Stealth was actually saying that the most fun he's ever had on tour in his entire life was when you guys went out, Lumineers and Greg and and Daniel, and all these people who have known each other for a long time were playing. I don't know, arenas, and yeah. it became really small because you all knew each other.
2: Yeah, I can easily picture having gone out with them how it how how it could be different. You just entire days just get lost there in those concrete beasts, and it would be, uh, yeah, it's really easy to just uh, not converse with everybody because, you know, they're also working, and it feels yeah. like you're out working, but... But yeah, me and him would go play disc golf and mm-hmm. talk about being a dad and yeah, uh, yeah, just yeah. I love that guy. He's an absolute nut. Yeah.
1: yeah, and that's another thing that I I assume you're bonding over is Jeb is now a dad and you're yeah. you're all parents.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, we are. And Steve also has what a one-year-old. What's that? You also have a one-year-old mm-hmm. now. Five months. Five-month-old. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I got another little girl. Yes. Yeah. I'm just out there throwing X's, yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah. And these <laughs> these things, I know from experience, they affect your life as a musician. And you literally had to come home from tour because of a sick baby. Yeah, it's the only time I've had to leave tour. Yeah, Wren um, is
2: her name, and um, yeah, it was just really early for her to get one of those like respiratory things that was going on, and we had to go and. Th- and be in the hospital until we could clear her nose out. Oh. Uh, yeah, which took a few days. Um, yeah, that wasn't cool. <laughs> um, it was like the first night of two or two, so it was just really back and forth trying to, trying to listen to my partner on the phone telling me I need to come home. And I was like, but I just got out here with all my friends. How, how, <laughs> yeah. how is that possible? Yeah. And yeah, just, yeah, that's the only time in like a decade I've missed any, any Gregory Allen Isaacoff shows. Yeah, so.
1: it was weird. Yeah. Have you? Um, do you have a way of explaining the, uh, you know, the difference between playing as a side man at Red Rocks or the Gorge or <laughs> Paradiso in Amsterdam and sitting here alone in front of all of these people?
2: This is more terrifying somehow. <laughs> mm. I don't know. Um, it's of course way different. Being up there with all your friends, and it's of course way different not being the one who has to uh, remember lyrics um, I've been harmonizing with lyrics of greg's that i I, I don't know the actual words to right. them mm-hmm. I've just harmonized the vowels with them for years mm-hmm. and years, so it's like it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't um there's a lot of just lower pressure <laughs> but um i miss I miss this i do it's it's why i why I said yes when you asked me it's like uh, oh I get to play some songs too and um yeah I had a band there for a while and I just couldn't I couldn't give them enough to do when I was home cuz when I got home I just I just wanted to be with my family and enjoy being off the road and yeah it's hard to hard to come home and then be like all right let's play a bunch of local shows and um yeah so I let them go a few years ago and uh you know I kept the name cuz I think it's fun having a Moniker that you release music under, but um, yeah, I've enjoyed just letting it be whatever the heck I want it to be. Like I'm going to do a banjo record now, and to <laughs> and to handle any confusion, I'm just calling it the banjo record. Yeah. So if you're confused, it's that's your own fault at that point. Um, <laughs> you're listening to the banjo record. Uh, yeah, I just I just I just want to have fun putting music out on my own when I want to and. Get all my live music kicks out. Yeah. With the Isaacoff crew.
1: Yeah. You can hear Steve's music anywhere. Spotify title. I'm I'm a, a Nazi with I don't want to be on Spotify. So I'm on title. But how many We'll albums? talk more about that later. I don't yeah. n- know. Yeah. why. Yeah. Well one of them pays a third of a cent and one of them pays one cent. So that's the main that's the main thing. Hey. You know. Yeah. All right. Well, that's going to be really boring for everybody else, so yeah. we'll talk about that later. Yeah. yeah. Um, how many albums do you have under the Kid Reverie moniker?
2: Um, I released an Angry Rock record in 2018 uh, with them. Um, I love that record. I, just, I, I, I know what I was going through at the time, and um, I actually love listening back to those songs because we were so amped to just go in there and record live. So if you go and listen to that record, it's like that was just all four of us in a room together playing the songs. Mm. And i had never recorded a record like that, so we went in and did that. and So like two, three days later, we had a complete record. Um, It's better than it had taken years, for sure. Um, uh, I did that record, and then um, I guess it was during... Uh, the heart of the pandemic there, where I was just like man i need to I need to return to the fact that I can release music on my own. I like to produce records too, I like mixing, I like all that, so I did a handful of songs, just like one offs um, that I released um, i you know i did a I did a love song that I was really proud of. I did a song about about guns that I was really proud of um, around the um, around the uh, Boulder shootings that happened around that time. I also went to Columbine. So I was, um, uh, there was a song that was it's called waiting, Wild and, West, right? waiting and waiting and waiting to be written. Yeah. It's the most words I've ever put in a song and for good reason. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we ended up talking a lot about that song around that time. Adam, Adam was uh, kind enough to write an article at that time in the Westward about it. And, um, yeah, just feeling that empowerment that comes from um, just just putting music out, not with this, like, you got to put out singles for five months and then the whole album can come out because of how Spotify works. And I was just, like, ignoring all of that and just just immediately putting out songs into the world. And it certainly shows when you look at the metrics that that's how I did those songs. <laughs> but... but um, but I'm proud of him, and uh, I'll continue to do that when, when I want to. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, w- one of the things I have to ask you because of, of an album that you were a part of in the last year is, if you take a lesson from Steve Varney, are you going to make an album together? What? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I missed that. Yeah, you had somebody take lessons from you oh, who you yes. ended up making an album with.
2: Oh uh, yeah. oh yes, yes yeah. i got i yeah. got I got uh really into doing online. that was my big pivot during the pandemic was like, well, online lessons um, I had taught a lot uh, prior to becoming a touring musician, so um, it felt like a natural thing to uh, drop back to, and um, I was really worried about what it would be like online, and everything I thought about it was wrong. It's really great. And if I didn't have those one-on-one interactions with people, I I don't know how I would have come out the other end. I would it would have been way different. And yeah, one of the guys I worked with, uh, Chris Williams. Um, I remember one night just like chatting with my partner Ali. I was like, this guy writes good songs. I like I like his songs. And then we began like, you know, like he would come to me with like a bare bones song, and I, I would say like, all right, here's here are the issues I'm hearing with it, and we would just like rewrite it together and polish it up, and, um, and before we knew it, we kind of had to admit to each other that we were co-writing a whole album. And he was like, do you want your name on this? And at first I was like, no, 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 man, it's yours. You always came to me with these ideas, and he's like, well, you wrote these with me, and he kind of had to convince me. And um, I'm really proud of that record. I mixed all of it. Um, uh, it it's, it's the first time I've done that. Um, where I was like really proud of the results and it's actually doing really well and yeah. um yeah it's it's just that was really important for me to learn that uh that it's possible to connect with any it, we were we were probably halfway done with the record before I met him in person he came out to an Isaacoff show and yeah. um I was like whoa, you're taller than I thought you were yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 so that was an important project it It helped us both mentally a lot just to have something like that that was growing out of nowhere. That's why we called it Something From Nothing. Um, Yeah, I love that record.
1: This record has actually gotten a lot of press and is on the charts. I mean, that was something in the last week. I thought, I'm going to interview Steve. I I should see if there's anything new. And then all of a sudden, uh, the, the first headline at the top of Google was one of the top new albums in Americana. And alternative folk music is something from nothing by Chris Rith- Chris Williams and hey, Steve right. Varney, <laughs> A.K.A. AKA <laughs> to the Reverend. Yeah, yeah. And it's really good. You guys should all, you guys should all check it out.
2: Yeah, we 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 tried to get weird on some songs. We we really we really pushed each other in a lot of ways. It was so fun. I, I I'm I'm really excited to work with him again. Did you sing lead on one of the songs? Yeah, just one of them. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah, that's my favorite one. <laughs> yeah. Not just saying that. Like, yeah. oh, thanks, man. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
2: Morning bell was that song. Yeah, yeah. That's because he came to me and he's he's like, I.
1: <laughs> what was
2: it? Like he told me what the song was about, and it was just really personal. Like it was about a like a member of his family, and it, um, sometimes you begin writing those songs like you're working through some anger towards somebody who's probably going to hear the song. And he was just like, I don't feel like I can finish it. And and I was just like, well, I'll finish it. And then, um, so he told me everything that had been going on. We had our little therapy session there for like half our lesson. And then I wrote the rest of the song for him. And um, he was like, well, you sing lead on that one. And I was game. Yeah, because at that time, I wasn't even going to have my name on the record. Mm -hmm. Um, But... Then it felt even more like a collaboration. It was like right after that song that we began talking like that. And we're like, "This is like
1: totally a collaboration album." And yeah. he was right. Yeah. So anybody who has heard of the of the Mile High Stash podcast or listened to it knows that um, I ask every guest a really stupid question, and that is, if you were stranded in um, a remote Colorado cabin during a zombie apocalypse. I, I never say the zombie apocalypse because there could, there could be multiple. <laughs> there, there could be like, you never know. <laughs> yeah, let's
2: not put the yeah. zombies into a box. Yeah. They, could, yeah. they could figure yeah. out something else too yeah. in the future. And you yeah. were,
1: uh, you know, picture yourself in like Ward or something and you're alone and all you have is um, food and water and a crank powered Victrola. What five vinyl albums would you bring with you? And I asked Ada, his, your eldest, uh uh-huh. um, earlier, what five albums do you think your dad would bring? Was, was, was she accurate on any of those? Uh, yeah, a little bit.
2: Yeah. Yeah, she, she hears what I like to pull up in the car. Uh, <laughs> um, all right, so record one? Number one. All right. Um, it's hard. Okay. All right. I think I'm going to pull out the one first that I think has some uh, tunes in it that would be really empowering for fighting the zombies. Um, but it also meant a lot to me. It's In Rainbows by Radiohead. Um, in Rainbows was the first Radiohead, um, Radiohead record that I ever heard, uh, which is uh, blasphemy to a lot of Radiohead fans. But uh but it was i was in, I was in a music business class, and our teacher was telling us that there was this weird band out there called Radiohead um, well, that's what I was hearing as he talked about radiohead uh, that that had put out a record where you can pay what you want, and they were kind of the first ones to do that and um I was an absolute turd and went and paid one dollar uh i think I, I think I tested lower and like. One one dollar was the lowest that you could do, and um, because I was just kind of testing it, I was like, "Really, they're doing this?" Um, And then I feel like my world changed. Like I feel like it shifted. Um, It was there was so much great intensity on it, and so much. um, They just, I mean. I would go back then, of course, and listen to the rest of their albums and realize that they were, they were doing things 15 years before other people, like other people that I really respected, like, um, and I just heard what they were doing on like Pablo Honey, like back in the 90s, and they were just so ahead in a lot of ways. And so I vowed that I would just continue listening to what, what those people were doing and I have. and um, Yeah, man. Uh, Tom York and that band, they, they, they continue to inspire me in really big ways, but In Rainbows was huge. Huge for me. I'm really
1: old. That makes me feel really old. <laughs> You're welcome. Because <laughs> the first Radiohead album I bought was Pablo Honey because Creep was on MTV. And then, this is going to sound like science fiction, but I... Her, I saw Radiohead open for Alanis Morissette <laughs> in 1995. Yeah, Jagged then, Little Pill years? Jagged Little Pill. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a hell of a show. Yeah, yeah. Okay, number two, and then I'll ask you something else.
2: All right. I mean, it was it was really that that was that was one where I could picture like battling the zombies to like. You know, like Reckoner and um, uh, Jigsaw falling into place. You know, I could I could really kill some zombies to that one. Uh, but uh, the other records, I mean, it was it was hard to just not think of records that were really influential. I'm going to go way back to Live at Luther College with Dave Matthews and Tim Reynolds. Um, that got me playing the guitar. Period. Like it was. Um, I think I had been listening to a lot of rap. Uh, Chronic 2001 came out, and all of us white suburban kids had to find something to connect with that felt angry. Eminem was coming out too at that time, and it just... um, So I dove into that a lot. But then I heard this record live at Luther College, um, and I was just... I don't know. I, I hadn't heard guitar playing like that before, and before I knew it, I was sitting there in my parents' basement you know, pausing a DVD to try and figure out a chord he was playing, and just just really trying to figure out the guitar, and trying to learn his riffs, and um, yeah, it got me, it got me playing. Yeah. yeah.
1: So every episode of Mile High Stash has a sponsor of some kind, and this is a really special one. It's the Gold Hill Inn. Yay! And, um. Some of the greatest nights of my life, maybe like multiple nights in the top 10 are nights that I played at the Gold Hill Inn. And, and maybe this past Monday, how many of you were at the Gold Hill Inn on Monday? Yeah. Um, so there are certain artists like this guy you might have heard of called Gregory Allen Izakov, who n- no matter how famous they get, they still want to play at the Gold Hill Inn. So do you yeah. have any... Favorite memories of the Gold Hill Inn.
2: I'm building them now, um, with him. Yeah, I haven't. I haven't played up there in any other context, and um, I should, but um, I haven't yet. And um, yeah, I love those nights. I love that it's just assumed that if I'm in town for Christmas, I get to go up there and play because it's it's really special. Yeah, I. Um, I think we just worked out all the songs on banjo last time. I went I went and played with him. It was just it's so damn warm and it's Christmas time and it already feels so warm and um yeah, I love being there. I love the food. I love how they run that place. It's God, last time was nuts though. Was anybody up there that that last one? Just getting home was crazy, yeah, Greg had to drive home like fifteen people in his van. it was just it was so funny uh but yeah just it's it's always memorable yeah, so
1: one of my m- memories that always sticks out is uh I was playing at the Gold Hill Inn November two thousand and seventeen with with gasoline and lollipops, and when the show ended, it was exactly that. It was a blizzard outside, and I have a Prius, so <laughs> coming. <laughs> I thought, I'm going to drive down Sunshine Canyon, and Chris Finn, you know, the chef who hands out fudge to everybody during your shows, um, when I opened the front door, he, he had a broom and he was sweeping off the, my car with a, with a broom. So that's the kind of people they are. Yeah. Also, that kind of people at the Roots Music Project as well, i got to say. yeah. Um, one of the things that um, I hope it's okay that I speak with Steve about tonight, and some people here know about this. There are people here from the stuttering community in Boulder, including Allegra from, am I saying this right? Cadence Speech Therapy. Um, Some people here I've known for a really long time um, and might not know that I stutter, and I have (laughs) my whole life. And um, Steve, and I both share in that, and um, you don't stutter when you sing. I I did actually deal with a two or
2: three year period there where I couldn't sing. Um, It just jumped over to my singing voice one night. Yeah. Um, But um, yeah, generally, that doesn't happen anymore. It rears its head sometimes, might tonight, yeah, I don't know. Um, it's a beast. Anybody that knows, knows. Um, I mean, you you don't hear a whole lot from us right now, but you don't know everything we're doing to sound fluent.
1: She knows. Um, <laughs> yeah, she knows. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> Other people in this room know. But, um, yeah, this is... Uh, these are things that Adam and I wouldn't have dreamed of doing in our earlier lives, but um, it's... Uh, it's a long road, and at some point, you you have you 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 just have to. I don't know. You just have to. Yeah. Um. But yeah, really, nobody nobody knows how many words we're avoiding and thinking ahead about. And um. I like being around people who know what it's like to. Um. To have people mock you when you introduce yourself or order food you don't actually want, or... Um, I saw a movie once that I didn't want to see. Um, because I, I got up there and couldn't say it, and I just I bailed and went and saw some crappy movie, and it just ended up walking out, and... Um, yeah. It, um, I've met people who have changed their names, who have lost the love of their life because they couldn't get the words out, who... Yeah, it's it's deep. It's a deep,
1: weird, invisible handicap that a lot of people deal with. Yeah. Yeah, Our we're. mutual friend John Hendrickson wrote a book called Life on Delay that came out last fall. And he was courageous enough to go on CNN and all this other stuff. And, and I went and met him at a, a book reading in Denver in January. And it was the first time in my whole life that I had been around a bunch of other people who stutter. And it w- it was so many things. It was um, somebody who's not here tonight, who I really love, and I don't want to criticize him, but he came up to me uh, recently and said, you shouldn't say on your podcast that you stutter, because you don't stutter. And I i didn't want to confront him. and. I said thank you, so thank you for saying that. But what I really wanted to say is what Steve was alluding to is that there is a whole spectrum of stuttering. There are people who get stuck on uh, certain sounds, and there are people who, like me, it can take me a long time to get something out. So I'm working really hard underneath everything, and and Allegra can (laughs) see that and um, I have mechanisms and um, uh, so that's something I don't think I've ever talked about in front of a room of people so thank you for sharing that with me and thank you for of course (laughs) course, Um, And thank you for Rachel for bonding with us in Anxiety tonight because she stood up here and and did her first... I think, was that the first time you ever were solo in front of a crowd? Yeah. Yeah. And it was amazing. Yeah. It was great. Yeah. 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 Um, I also asked Ada if there's anything uh she suggests that i ask you about and she said i should ask you about the cat it's not really your cat but it's a cat it's a neighborhood cat smoky smoky yeah. oh oh gosh what about her i mean
2: she uh i i mean i'm i was coming in as 100% a dog person until i met that cat it's the neighbor's cat she comes over for naps um and brushes i br- i bought a brush for the neighbor's cat yeah i i i did and uh i wrote a song about that cat i will i will release eventually it was imagining losing her to the coyotes that like to hang out around our farm and uh it just it was one of those um one of those really deep in the pandemic kind of things where it was just like, Man, I'm really glad this animal comes around to, to say hi and just just hang out. She's uh she um she she has her whole litter of kittens that are now like grown in the farm next to us, and they try to come over and she stops them. Mm. And she's like, This is my place to come and get away from you. <laughs> and um yeah, her real name's Grayla. We found out later. Uh, I don't like that name, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, she's awesome. You yeah. got to so hang out with
1: Andy Thorne. I mean, he's got the
2: fox, and yeah, you got the, the fox. cat. <laughs> so this is perfect. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I could get international media attention right. playing for a cat. <laughs> <laughs> okay, albums number. What are we on? Three, three, four. Uh, okay, what did I? Um, I got. I got to go. Endless numbered days. Iron and wine. Um. The songs on that record are the are are the most peaceful, beautiful uh, collection of songs that I've heard probably, and um, I've had I've had the honor of touring with Sam, um, and uh, I thought it was so interesting to talk to him about like how those records were made and uh, how. Like by that point he had kind of moved on to a band kind of sound, and I was like, "So what? What really brought that around?" And he was just like, "I made those records. W- I forget how many daughters he has. It's like five. And he's like, "Ever, you know, I made those records when they were up there in their bedrooms, right above. I couldn't be loud, yeah. so that's why they sound that way." And um, I just I found that so interesting. Uh, it 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 made me realize that artists artists change things up on you for a, for a reason they they need it don't don't let it ruin your fanship don't let it you know don't they just they need it he was like i always wanted a band um but that record um god passing afternoon that song alone i think that was the first song i really tried to like play all the way through on the piano like, trying to trying to play exactly what was on the record and um he, he does this, um, I teach it in lessons a lot, as impressionistic songwriting. If Monet painted blurry, blurry paintings of beautiful things, and there, there are lyric writers out there who paint these blurry vignettes, and Gregory's one of them too, um, and Tom York is one of them too, um, where it's like they give you a quick picture of something and, and then it's gone quick picture of something else and then it's gone uh, again and again and again and it's like you're looking through old photographs and if you want to connect them that's great but I wouldn't ask those artists like what's that song about because I just I hear it and it just it sounds yeah it sounds like photographs just panning in front of you and um I love that kind of vignette writing uh yeah, and he was the first person that really drove that home for me. Mm. How beautiful that can be, and it does not matter if you don't know what the song is yeah. about. If the language is right and it sings well, it, it can it can
1: be beautiful no matter I, what. Yeah. I remember listening to Desolation Row and Visions of Joanna in high school and had that same thought, this is brain candy, This doesn't even matter what it's about.
2: We listen to the lyrics last, whether we want to admit it or not, as writers, like people listen to the vibe of the song first, and then you know, it can be years later where you look up the lyrics to a song and find out oh, that's that's what it is? Like, I'm sure we all have examples of that. Um, I'm the same. Um, but he was one of those people, I went online quickly to read the lyrics while the song was playing, and I was not disappointed. Okay, album number four. Number four? Yeah. I'll keep it with a different kind of lyric writing. Um, uh, Plans by Death Cab for Cutie. Uh, Ben Gibbard was a, yeah, all right. Uh, Ben Gibbard was um, one of those linchpin artists for me because I love that vignette writing, but that's not, not exactly what I do. I have done it, but I, I don't know, sometimes I crave a beginning, middle, and end to a lyric. And um, God, Ben Gibbard, uh, the song What Sarah Said on Plans, um, the way it describes waiting in an ER waiting room. um, I mean, they're like tattooed in my brain. Um, and it came to me then that every plan is a tiny prayer from Father Time. As I stared at my shoes in the ICU that reeked of piss in 409, and I rationed my breath as I said to myself that I've already taken too much today, and each descending peak on the LCD took me a little further away from you. Um, the internal, external trade-off in those lyrics and... Describing it perfectly, what it's like—how nobody's watching the TV. It does smell like piss in 409. It, um, it does. Like it. um, I just thought it was one of those perfect songs, and not one word was overly elaborate. He wasn't trying to find some long, you know, multi. Syllable words to impress people. It was all plain language, put perfectly, and um, yeah, he became one of those writers. And and I gotta say, because he just talked about the whole stuttering angle of this. Um, one of my most profound experiences with that was actually meeting him at Boxcar Coffee down down here in Boulder. I looked across the table and just there he was, and I just I couldn't I couldn't believe it. And um, We stutterers know that moment where you're just like, I want to go and say hi, but I knew I was going to have a hard time saying my name, and, um, but I did it anyway, and I mean, it was one of those like six or seven times trying to say my name, and the first thing he did was pull out the chair next to him for me to sit down. And, um, I think I realized the, the power that I actually had that I was unaware of, how, how impactful it is when people don't just have a knee-jerk reaction and laugh or whatever, um, I don't blame those people, by the way, it's weird to hear somebody have a hard time introducing themselves, but, um, you could tell that he had met a lot of people and he didn't react other than just pulling out a chair and he said, Have a seat. I met his whole family. We talked for a while. I would not have had that chat with him without that vulnerability at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't. He would have said, Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, he would have done the, Oh, thanks. Yeah, glad you like the music. But I got to sit there and really tell him what it had meant to me and that. I myself had become a professional musician, and um, it was really cool. I'll always appreciate that moment
1: about him. Yeah. We were talking you know, earlier, I tried not to talk to Steve at all before this, so we had <laughs> material left, but um, before I sit down with um, somebody for recording an episode of this, I say two things. The first is, is there anything off-limits that you don't want me to ask about? Which very few people say there is something, but its I, I'm not going to share what it, <laughs> these things have been, but they have been important. And the second thing is that I say, I want to let you know that I stutter. So if there's a point in the interview where something weird's going on, where I sound like a broken record, I'm not on crack, I'm not really hungover, I'm like <laughs> just stuttering. And I didn't have to say that to Steve, so that was nice. But there was also a story you told me about... Um you guys were nominated for a Grammy and um and you played a private party and not only <laughs> did you have to t- you know speak to people at this party but you had to speak to Brian Cranston and Lizzo Aaron Paul Adele people
2: from Game of Thrones what's his name Pascal Yeah yeah um Vince Gilligan, who fucking wrote Breaking Bad. Um, yeah, there was a point where I was talking to Aaron Paul, Brian Cranston, and Vince Gilligan about music and about Breaking Bad and about just, yeah, it was at Aaron Paul's house in LA. It was really, really cool, obviously. Um, but it was, again, you know, the people in this room who who know what it's like to you know, not just it's not just like a social anxiety, it's like it's like I hope I can speak tonight. Um and I decided before I went up and knocked on his door that um that I just wasn't gonna give a shit. And and the night was perfect. I mean they also had a lot of their mezcal there, so I'm sure that helped out a little bit. But, but, um, but yeah, that was one of those nights I just I realized the power of really choosing beforehand to handle it a particular way. And I just said to myself, like, if it happens, I'll tell them exactly what it is and keep talking. And then it just didn't happen, which... Um, which is which is great. It doesn't it doesn't then help you out with the next day, but I'm really glad that that night was like that. It was yeah, that was a really special night for
1: sure. So one of the things that Ada said to me tonight was I don't get to see my dad play very much. And that's because, you know, you do play for thousands and thousands of people all over the world, but not necessarily here in Boulder. Yeah. Yeah, yes. <laughs> how do you How would you describe this dichotomy of playing at these big venues around the world and then living on a farm with your kids I think it 's exactly what I need
2: um, i can 't i don 't know it 's even like a week and a half into a tour where I just realized i can 't i'm not i 'm not a rock star. Mm-hmm. I can't live the way that they apparently do in the movies, and it, it, there's such a such a image out there like that that it's just um, it even it even kind of plays on you, and and you have all this adrenaline, and you're just like I gotta gotta go out tonight, and I gotta yeah you know, I gotta go to the local bar and hang out and have people buy me drinks until I until I fall over, and then do it again tomorrow, and it's just um, I've really tried to embrace a more calm. Uh, touring uh, behavior too, so then I come home and it's just it's just everything just makes even more sense. Um, it can be hard to go out and get groceries for the first time by yourself after you come home because someone's been doing all those things for you for the whole tour. But but other than that, I love I love coming home. I I, lo- I love getting off the road. It's it's of course a huge rush and. I'm really proud of it, and glad that I worked so hard at music to, to have somebody feel like they needed what I do. Mm-hmm. But um, I love coming home. It's not. It's not hard. I
1: I, I get really excited about mm-hmm. it, like, like toward the end <laughs> of tours. <right. laughs> <laughs> what can you tell me about this song, Your Room? Does it have any part in what Your Room you just talked about? Um. Your room
2: was me trying to write a love song f- for the woman that I I continue to be with now um we were we were in two different places for a long time she was a wonderful reason to go out and visit um san san francisco there like every month for a while um she um uh, when we initially met I was just I would like to say I was I was a depressed pile of garbage um and I was uh, and she recognized that easily. So it took us a long time to like really connect and then we did and uh eventually convinced her to move out here and we live together now and uh that's Ren's mom. Uh and um yeah, I was I I don't actually, I don't know. It's, it's arguable that every song is a love song if you think about it hard enough, but um, I felt like I hadn't truly written a love song for a long time, and yeah, that was, that was one of them. I like
1: that song. I like it too. What it's are you good. getting at? <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a song, uh, you know, my interpretation of it was that it's a song about loving someone so much, but you have this, this job that takes you away from that. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And I called it your room because it has a line. It's like I, I want to be in a frame on that wall in your room. It was just looking around that person's room, which is such an intimate space to be in of anybody else's. And um, yeah, having that feeling again for the first time in a long time of like, I, I wanna, I wanna be in this person's pictures. Real bad. (laughs) Um, You could just frame a picture and put it there when she's not there.
1: (laughs) She's really smart. She would have found out. (laughs) Okay, album number five, the fifth and final zombie apocalypse album.
2: Metals by Feist. Anyone? Yeah. I don't even know what it is about that record, but it maybe has more spins for me than anything else. Um, I heard an interview of hers, years after it came out, uh, where, oh, she's on some offshoot of Interscope, I think it's called Cherry Tree Records, whatever, Um, and uh, the label gave them like a few hundred thousand dollars to go and make a record. And then they acquired Lady Gaga at the time who was like totally unknown at the time and they just nobody checked back in with her for like four years so she got to make exactly the record she wanted to she was she even said like um i forget who did the interview it's really great i love how she talks about writing i really hope i get to work with her in the future sometime um but uh she she was like I would reach out to them and say like, Hey Label how how you how you doing and like they would be like we're good you good, all right, and they wouldn't ask for anything so she's like we just keep we just kept making the record we wanted to and it also introduced me to the piano playing of Chili Gonzalez um, if you don't know him look up his solo piano records and just enjoy the hell out of that in the background of your day. Um, Uh, Chile Gonzalez again. Uh, um, I I don't. He's like a Canadian. I don't know what's up with the name, uh, but um, he's he's incredible, and he's all over that record. He's a big part of how it sounded, but also it had such a big influence on
1: how I began to approach the guitar Mm.
2: at that time. How she plays. Um, Love her stuff.
1: I think they recorded that in a barn like out of Big Sur, and it has... Yeah. It's yeah. got that vibe to it. A lot of great videos out there. Mm. One of my
2: one of my favorite parts of the record, they actually... They brought in all their moms to do all these background vocals, mm. and it was so cool to love that part of the record and then learn that later, that that's how it happened, that they... You know, again, they had the time mm-hmm. to just be like, yeah, let's, you know, let's get all our moms in here to be on the record, and it's... um. <laughs> It's really cool. It's a yeah. It's wonderful record if you haven't heard it. Medals by Feist. It's yeah. really great.
1: I think I forgot to mention that Rachel, Rachel and Steve are neighbors. They live across the street. From yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, thank you so much for doing this, and um, I hope that you play out more as Kid Reverie, Steve Varney. I I will. I will. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. <clears throat> Um, I had all these notes. It was my idiot sheet, and it, right now I dropped it. So it reminds me of like when my kid was born, I had this whole list of things I was going to say that would like help. And then <laughs> after the birth, and I was holding her, I realized I didn't even know where it was. So this was very similar, good <laughs> to that.) Um, I would love it if you played your room and then play as long as you want. You know? All right. And thank you so much, buddy. You're very welcome. Yeah. Very welcome, Adam. Thank you for coming. It's really thank you. fun.
3: All around your room Pictures of your life Are a mess of things And my arm's over you It's all got me thinking About what I'm gonna do To be in a frame On that wall in your room There's a way you move That I won't ever forget There's a way you smile that reminds me There's nothing worth regret Now I lie here thinking about What I'm gonna do in a frame on that wall in your room Did you feel it? We were falling a mile Feeling
0: we will fall in a mile a minute.
3: My, you're a wonder. I wish I could stay. But my plane touches down in Denver town at the end of the day but I fly home thinking about what I'm gonna do to be in a frame on that wall in your room I wanna be In a frame on that wall in your room.
2: Oh, let's do a less rowdy claw hammer song, huh? Let's do a Uh, this is one that, um, I've now lost both my grandparents on my mom's side. They, they, they lived out in very rural Tennessee, rural, um, rural Tennessee. Uh, and, uh, like, like they were never on a plane kind of, kind of folks, um, my mom's the only member of that family who has left that little mountain there in Dayton, Tennessee. And um, I really miss fishing there. I just, I just do. And um, so I wrote a song called One More Cast on the banjo. There won't be any words to it, so don't be waiting for them. This banjo's just been hanging out there for a minute. Does anyone else play the banjo and know what a pain in the ass these things are to keep in tune? Anybody? I think that's also why I'm playing the banjo more. Right? Like like guitar? Who cares anymore, right?
3: One about how there were a whole lot of
2: turkeys on our farm one day. It's called thirty turkeys because that is how many turkeys we counted that day. They're they're so funny. I mean, anybody that lives up here, you see them, right? Like they're just, or maybe you don't. Maybe we're lucky. I don't know. They just, I love these Boulder turkeys. They're 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 not afraid of anything. I've seen the males wear up to cars and just gobble away. Uh, So this is another one where my daughter Ada really, really helped me um, get it written because I already had a couple licks out of it and she was like, that song sounds like a turkey. And I said, yep. And there she is talking about you. So I don't know what it is, you get you get like one little note like that and I was like, well I'm going to make the rest of it sound even more like a turkey then. Um, oh, I've been playing this one a lot of different ways. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave you with um, uh, with what could arguably be the first kid reverie song um, ever because um, at some point I was moving up to Boulder after some pretty real turmoil in my life I was in my new room with my first batch of stuff just laying in the corners and um, I liked how the room sounded and I had a banjo there and <sighs> I don't know sometimes you write the song that you yourself need really really badly And um, yeah this helped me um, it's called it's called human and um... oh am I gonna try and get some vibes out in the op1 I think I am so yeah I'll leave you with this one I'm happy to leave you with the meaning behind this song as well Um, we keep forgetting we're just human trying to use our time is what the chorus is And um, I think so many things can be made way more simple and easy if you remember that. Um, At least it's helped me a whole lot. still minor from that song, that other song. I never introduced that one earlier, by the way. That one was called Smoke. That was a while ago, but I'm telling you the name now. There we go. I was like, man, this doesn't sound good.
0: do your worst I've got no reason to be sober and one hell of a thirst and I believe
3: Thank you for listening. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'll give you another hour. Got to run. Got to fly away. Leave you to fall.
1: Thank you so much, um, to Steve. Varney and Rachel Slyker and the Roots Music Project and everyone who came out that night. Um, it was a blast and we have another one in the works for the fall so stay tuned for that. I hope you made it all the way through and listen to Steve's music as well um, as the interview because Kid Reverie, Steve Varney, um, is really um, um, an amazing local artist who um, um, a lot of times the side people are just as interesting as the front people, you know, and when they get their chance to shine, you realize how important they are um, and unique they are. Um, thanks again for listening. And um, please do leave um, a review on Apple Podcasts or, you know, donate via com. Everything does help. And I'll see you Right here again next Monday.
0: So you want to rise above duality, you want to transcend.